I'm Kim. And we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases of Moida Ghosts, Legends, and Law, with a healthy dose of debunking, aka... It was the longest intro ever. Scullying. Scullying, yes, that is what I do professionally. It's so good. That's <sighs> why we exist, guys. It's, it's why we exist. To scully. To scully. It's a, it's a thing. That's that's what that's what I need a t-shirt that says that scully. It's a thing. To scully or not to scully? That is the question. You know? That would be Whether a great Whether it's nobler to scully. Oh no, here she goes with the Shakespeare. <laughs> Damn it. You started it. I know. <laughs> All right. I'm fault. sorry, everyone. I did it. It's my fault. <laughs> but I'm excited for today, you guys. I don't think you understand. Kim gave me like a little sneak peek into our topic, but I didn't do any research. Don't worry. This is my first. Okay. Good. First, I mean, I know what I know, but like I didn't research anything. And I'm so excited for this topic. Kim. What is our topic for today? Well, so we've, we've kind of touched on the idea of, of vampires before. Mm-hmm. Like we, we talked about the casket girls in, in New Orleans, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. creatures that feed on the blood of the living uh, or, or in some way interfere with the living. And a lot of those stories were commonly attributed to Eastern Europe. Oh, uh, yeah. The there. Yeah. My people. Your people. Those your, your peeps. People. I mean, it's, it's my peeps too. Croatia. It's- our peeps. It's our peeps. <laughs> Actually, one of the first vampire stories originated out of Croatia. That I didn't know. Fun facts. Oh, guys, fun? we're be full of fun facts today. Full of something. Hey, so yo. even though that's kind of where the bulk of, of what we think of with the legends, I mean, there's across every culture, there is some kind of idea of a vampire. Yeah. Uh, and even you look at like biblical times, you've got the Lilu demons and Lilith, who was first wife of Adam. And it was like, I don't know, she like ate babies or something. And <laughs> I, I, I get that. Yeah. So, <laughs> in, so I'm, I, you know, I understand. Max. In the 17th and 18th century, that's sort of where we started to get some of our more modern ideas of, of Le Vampire in folklore. And, and the more sophisticated idea of the vampire actually first came up in 1819. When the English writer John Polidori wrote the story The Vampire. Mm. And it was, this was, this is before Bram Stoker, too. This was a short piece of fiction. And uh, your fun trivia for the day, because we have a lot of fun trivia in this Ooh, episode. I'm so excited. Wait, do we take a shot for the fun trivia? Because I have my beverage here, but it's not. It alcohol. doesn't. Okay, listen, you can't start a game of taking shots when you're not actually taking shots, because this is how I end up drunk and you end up Gabby. <laughs> I'm always Gabby, though. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, it's fun for our listeners if they want to have a little bevy moment. Mm. They can take drinks. And I mean, to be fair, I did just take a sip. So you know what? <laughs> Join us, please. Join us. Join me. Your fun piece of trivia is that uh, when John Polidori wrote The Vampire, he wrote it as part of a contest between himself, a little someone named Mary Shelley. Ooh, I know the story. Lord- Lord Byron and Percy Shelley. And that this is indeed the same contest that produced the novel Frankenstein. So 
the vampire and Frankenstein were all part of the same writing contest. That, that is so cool. Yeah. I, isn't that cool? I didn't know that. That was a new fact for me. And I was just like, damn, I That's like that. Awesome. I want to hang out with those people. Like they sound totally hang out with those so people. cool. Um, but uh, debatedly, the most famous vampire is our friend Dracula, popularized in Bram Stoker's 1897 novel. Now, there's been speculation debate uh, really since it came out as to where Bram Stoker got his inspiration for the character of Count Dracula. Uh, there have been works about vampires before, obviously, and, and uh, there was a couple notable works that he had probably kind of drawn some inspiration from. Armin Van Berry's Land Beyond the Forest, mm-hmm. Emily Girard's Transylvania Superstitions, which is actually where Stoker probably saw the term Nosferatu, which he uses in his book. Mm-hmm. In fact, and I found this really interesting, um, Emily Girard's Transylvania Superstitions, she wrote in it, more decidedly evil is the Nosferatu or vampire, in which every Romanian peasant believes as firmly as he does in heaven or hell. There are two sorts of vampires, living and dead. The living vampire is generally the illegitimate offspring of two illegitimate persons. (laughs) Wait, hold on. Does that mean there's a lot of vampires out there right now? There's a lot of vampires out there. My friends have a couple vampires. That's what I know. (laughs) Uh, But even a flawless pedigree will not ensure anyone against the intrusion of a vampire into their family vault, since every person killed by Nosferatu becomes likewise a vampire after death and will continue to suck the blood of other innocent persons till the spirit has been exercised by opening the grave of the suspected person and either driving a stake through the corpse or else firing a pistol shot into the coffin. Wait, I thought that you couldn't kill a vampire with like a gunshot. Unless it was well, like a this silver is according, bullet. This was according to Emily Girard. And this was her oh. early superstitions. Because, you know, remembering, we take a lot of our vampire lore from what Bram Stoker wrote. Totally. But it's a piece of fiction. He devised a piece of fiction. So we are, we are taking our inspiration for all of these vampire legends where, yes, he did some research. But otherwise, he fabricated a bunch of stuff. I, I like that I'm... <laughs> talking right now as though vampires are definitively real and we should be taking this very seriously. I mean, you're talking to a molder over here. So. I know. I know. I'm a little nervous by the end of this that you're going to be hanging garlic from your door because you're afraid. I do have a lot of garlic. I do cook oh, with God. it often. Yeah, I just <laughs> ate a bunch of it. What would Terrence say? I also have a. I have some uh, vampire fangs somewhere. Of course you do. We so. just went in then. <laughs> you know. Uh, well, and... and What's funny is that that after Bram Stoker died, his son Irving actually maintained that that Stoker was inspired by a nightmare he had one night after he ingested some unfortunate crab. Crab? Crab. Yeah, like Sebastian. Unfortunate crab. Poor it was bad. Unfortunate like- crab. <laughs> Poor unfortunate crab in pain. Indeed. Uh, <laughs> We're off to a great start, guys. It's so fun. So Bram Stoker was also friends with an actor named Henry Irving, Uh who was supposedly uh, kind of also used as a model for Count Dracula. In fact, uh, Barbara Belford, who was a friend, had said that somewhere in the creative process, Dracula became a sinister caricature of Irving as mesmerist and deplete, an artist 
draining those about him to feed his ego. It was a stunning but avenging tribute. Wow. Is that almost like an energy vampire? It's kind of an energy vampire because I'm like, <laughs> that's, uh, is that a compliment? I don't know. <laughs> All I can think about is Colin Robinson and what we do in the shadows. And what as, we do in the shadows. Uh, an energy vampire because we all know. I mean, him. I mean. Well, and, and Henry Irving, the actor, uh, when he read Bram Stoker's Dracula, apparently his response was that it was, quote, dreadful. <laughs> dreadful. Dreadful. But let's, let's be real. The vast majority of us, when we think about the story, that inspired Dracula. We think of a man that became popularly known as Vlad the Impaler. My friend. Your friend. Really? My friend Vlad. Your friend Vlad. I would love to Uh, be friends with Vlad. He seems like a badass. Let's see if you maintain that as we talk. (laughs) Fair. What I thought was really interesting, though, it was 1972 where that theory that Vlad the Impaler and Dracula were the same oh, really? really came about. Yeah, so historians Radu Florescu and Raymond T. McNally, they wrote a book in 1972 called In Search of Dracula, and it took off. Oh, cool. So whether or not it was actually Bram Stoker's intention, today we are going to dive into the man who would ever become synonymous with Dracula, and that is our friend, or at least Gabby's friend, Vlad the Impaler. Buddy, Vlad, my homie, what's up? Yo, homie. So let's, let's, let's go back in time a little bit to the 1400s in what is now Romania, Transylvania, but was also part of Hungary. <laughs> in an area that was north of the Danube River and south of the southern Carpathian mountain range, Eastern Europe. Yay. This was a confusing time for geography. What's interesting is that in my research, and again, you know how I love disclaimers like this, but when you're researching a story from the 1400s, (laughs) there is debate. Sure. There is not necessarily the best records kept. And so... A lot of it's speculation or piecing together things based on what we do know. Sure. So Bram Stoker set his story in Transylvania. That's where the Count was from, Transylvania. Oh my God, I love when you talk like that. Can you tell the entire <laughs> story in that accent? <laughs> so I keep drinking whiskey, I probably will. Uh, that is actually something that's debated upon as to whether or not he ever lived in Transylvania. Really? Yeah. Uh, his father had a residence in Transylvania. But Bran Castle, which is like the go-to spot for every goth tourist out there, there's uh, uh, they give tours of it and everything, and, and it's referred to even as Dracula's Castle. Can we go? We can, but he never really lived there. Wah, wah. Uh, we are also smack in the middle of the Ottoman Empire. And for those of you who don't know, here is the Ottoman Empire in a couple sentences. Uh, it was a massive empire. It lasted for over 16... It was a massive empire. It lasted for over uh, 600 years or so. And it existed in basically what is now Bulgaria, Egypt, Greece, Hungary, Jordan, Lebanon, Israel, Romania, Syria, parts of Arabia, and north coast of Africa. 
Interesting. Booyah. Bam. Nailed it. <laughs> well, and, and when you start to look at the Ottoman Empire, there's this whole thing. I, I mean, like, that's that's its own huge part of history. But uh, you'll hear me throughout this referring to the Turks in the Ottoman Empire. And the thing is, is that this time period, this kind of predated the idea of nationalism as we know it. Mm-hmm. So trying to apply kind of our modern understanding of, of the world at that time and how people viewed themselves, you're going to do yourself a disservice. Now, more than 30 of the sultans who ruled during the Ottoman Empire were the sons of women from the harem. Harems were all the rage. What's a harem? Concubines. Oh. Uh, you're, you're, you're a room full of lady friends who you like to then sleep with who aren't your wife. Or maybe oh. some of them are your wife. <laughs> oh, got it. And the thing is, is most of these women weren't Turkish. They were probably Greeks, Ukrainians, maybe some Serbs. But uh, according to the website historyextra.com, it's likely that later Turkish sultans were genetically more Greek than Turkish. Uh, in fact, they had a kind of cool way of describing it. They said the best modern analogy to describing anything Ottoman as Turkish is like saying that anything from the British Empire was exclusively English. Hmm. So I thought that was that was kind That's of a, a good comparison. Good comparison. Good way to look yeah. at it. In 1408, the Order of the Dragon was established. It served to defend Christianity and Eastern Europe from Ottoman invaders. It was modeled after the military order of the Crusades, and it was like a big deal when it was founded. So a man named Vlad II, he was inducted into the Order of the Dragon in 1431. Okay. And to give my friends out there who are looking for a little benchmark as to what else was going on there, in 1431, Joan of Arc was burned at the stake. Oh, okay. So this is the time period we're dealing with. So when he was inducted into the Order of the Dragon, he became known as Vlad Dracul. Dracul meant dragon at the time. It was a way of identifying him as a member. Uh, in modern Romanian, it means devil. Ooh, dun, dun, take, dun. take from that what you will. <laughs> So this same year, in either November or December, because shockingly, the records from 1400s are a little bit shady, Vlad Dracul had a son, his third son. He would name his son Vlad III, because everyone in this story is named fucking Vlad. Wait, who's Vlad the First? Is that his dad? Vlad the Second. That's his dad. So Vlad the Second. I don't know. Vlad the Second's dad? <laughs> I didn't go that far back. Vlad II is Vlad Dracul. Okay. This is where I say everybody's named Vlad. Vlad Dracul had a son, Vlad III. And because he was son of Dracul, his name was Vlad III Dracula, meaning Vlad, son of Dracul. Huh. Interesting. Thus begins legends. Ooh, I love it. So, Vlad III, Vlad Dracula, he did not come out of the womb being known as the Impaler. He had to earn that title. The idea of Vlad's mother is unknown. Daddy Vlad. Daddy Vlad! It's not like Daddy Vlad. Daddy. We're gonna... Vlad Daddy! 
Sure. We're going <laughs> to... We're going to, uh, because again, everybody's named Vlad. We're going to call Vlad the Impaler's dad, Daddy Vlad. He liked the ladies. He was most likely married to a woman, Princess, I'm going to butcher this name, Kninja of Moldavia, uh, who was the eldest daughter of Alexander the Good, not to be confused with Alexander the Great, Alexander the Fine, and <laughs> Alexander the Rather Mediocre. <laughs> Oh, that one got me. Thanks, Kim. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Daddy Vlad had a lot of mistresses. And the thing is, is during this time, it didn't matter if you were born of a wife or a part of the harem. It just mattered that you were born with a dick. Okay. If, if you were born male, you were a legitimized son. Like the, the idea of illegitimacy was a little bit different then. Is that why illegitimate children are all vampires? Uh, you're looking at a little bit later because okay. that was the like the 16th and 17th century. But maybe that's where it came from. No, I don't know. Just a thought. So Vlad had two older half-brothers, Mercia II and, wait for it, Vlad Kalugarl. Another one. Because the only thing better than naming one son after yourself is naming two. Hey, hey. Vlad Jr., Vlad the Impaler, he also had a younger brother named Radu III, the Handsome. Oh. Which, I'm sorry, can we talk about the fact that Daddy Vlad had three other sons and he named the last one the Handsome? He was not creative anymore. Maybe he like, was like, that's a handsome baby. He's going to be a handsome man. If I was his first three sons and I'm like, cool, cool, so I'm... I'm Mercia. I'm 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 Vlad the Third, um, but this one's named the Handsome. Really? <laughs> and who? Said although one had favorites, right? <laughs> well, and although so one thing that Vlad Junior did not share with his uh, Dracula counterpart was being conventionally handsome. He was known for being short, uh, stocky yet strong. In fact, according to the book, Vlad the Impaler, A Life from Beginning to End by Hourly History, Vlad had a long straight nose, a thin face and green eyes with bushy, menacing eyebrows. I love a menacing eyebrow. He wore a mustache and had swollen temples. What? What does that mean? It means his temples were swollen. His head was kind of big in the frontal area. And it increased the bulk of his head. So he had kind of like a swollen head. Wait, so is he like part Neanderthal? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, man. It sounds he, like it. He had uh, reportedly also had a thick neck. His <laughs> appearance, like his behavior, has also been described as cruel. Maybe that's why his brother was named Handsome. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. so. You got Vlad, you got his family. His brother, Vlad C., uh, was actually the son of one of Daddy Vlad's mistresses. And at some point, she decided that she'd kind of had enough of Daddy Vlad's dragon and got thee to a nunnery. Um, (laughs) Vlad C. eventually followed. And so he became known as Vlad the Monk. (laughs) Growing up, all of Daddy Vlad's sons received, honestly, a pretty kick-ass education for the time period. Like, 
Well, I shouldn't even say for the time period, because if you were of a certain level of birth, you probably received the same education, mm-hmm. maths, geography, language, arts, philosophy. Uh, they would have been what we call learned, learned men. In 1436, Daddy Vlad ascended the throne of Wallachia. He was ousted, though, in 1442 by rivals who were in league with Hungary. So Daddy Vlad did something a little controversial. He went to the Ottomans for support. And they were like, yeah, sure, we'll help you out, but we're going to take your sons, Vlad III and Radu, the pretty pretty, Pretty boy. Pretty boy, Radu, as prisoners for collateral. Oh, damn. Yeah. So Vlad III was 11. Radu, I'm better looking than you, was seven. (laughs) Uh, Daddy Vlad also agreed to pay out an annual tribute to the Sultan in exchange for their help. And I mean, when we call them prisoners, that term is fairly loose like they were treated very well they were educated in turkish and logic they learned the quran um radu actually kind of thrived he later converted to islam and i don't know if it's because i mean he was seven so it's easier to adapt when you're younger i think but he he was like full-on i like the ottoman empire vlad not so much maybe it's because he was pretty and vlad wasn't as pretty oh poor ugly vlad he lashed out. He fought against his imprisonment. Uh, he'd get punished Uh-oh. as a result. Some historians theorize that um, because of the punishments, this kind of helped him grow as a sadist and, and may have impacted why he was so fond of impaling people. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. So Daddy Vlad... Uh, Receiving this assistance from the Ottomans, that didn't go over super world hungry. So Daddy Vlad got control back in 1447, did not hold on to it. Uh, An attack against him led to his son, Mercia, being captured and blinded with hot pokers. Ooh, yikes. And then buried alive. Oh, shoot. Wow, that's so rude. They could have just buried him. They (laughs) find him with hot pokers too? How rude. So I'm going to say anytime someone does something like that, that's just rude. That's just rude. That's unnecessarily rude. Hannibal would not, actually Hannibal would approve, but it's rude. Hannibal would have eaten the eyeballls, okay? Well, don't waste the eyeballs. I mean, it's nice and tender. Yeah. So, yeah, so Daddy Vlad was also captured and then killed. Um, Technically, if you were looking for who was next in line, uh, Vlad the monk would have been. But he was busy being a monk, so he's like, pass. Excused. (laughs) Excused. So it's 1448. Vlad III's like eh, 17 years old. Uh, He's got the support of the Ottomans, so he gets power. For like two months. <laughs> Didn't last long. Better than nothing. So he left and went to Moldova, where his uncle, who was uh, Prince Bogdan II. That's a good name. I don't know why I'm making him sound British. He wasn't British. I just like the way you said it, though, so I'm not mad. Bogdan II and Prince Stephen, uh, who's his cousin. Oh, <laughs> Steve. Lived- 
Good old oh, Steve. Steve. Good old Steve. So he lived with them for the next three years and they got, they got like tight, you know, but then good old uncle Bog, he was assassinated in 1451 by his brother. Oh, shucks. <laughs> like, dude, you thought your family was bad. Um, <laughs> so him and cousin Stephen left and returned back to the Transylvania region. So at this point, Wolaki was being ruled by Vladislav II, which is like a fancy version of Vlad. Is that Daddy Vlad? No, this, Daddy, Daddy Vlad's dead. Oh, sorry, I'm confused. It's because there's 50 million people named Vlad. Okay. No, Vladislav II. So Vladislav, not to be confused with Vlad the Monk or Vlad the Impaler or Daddy Vlad. Got it. Uh, he was he was ruling Wallachia, and so Vlad the Third, or Vlad, planned and plotted. And in 1456, he beat Vladislav in hand-to-hand combat and killed him. So now he is again the ruler. Yay! Yay! And again, for those of you who want a Western European point of context, uh, this was right around when the War of the Roses started up. So Vlad III, he's like 25 now. And, you know, he's in power, but there's a lot to fix. Things are not great. Um, so he, he basically has to overhaul everything. He wants to hold on to his power, but he also wants things to get better. He has completely new villages built so they can better produce agriculture. And he starts to put a lot of focus on trade. Doesn't mean he lets the people who killed and betrayed his father and brother off the hook. Uh, he had all of the nobles who were responsible killed. Revenge. Revenge. And the, the council that advised him, he basically said to most of the, the kind of local nobles, like, haha, no, and made his own one of peasants and knights. So he's trying to do his own thing. He's he's building the army up and he starts, you know, the raiding and the pillaging. And of course, the impaling. The impaling. The impaling. He's like, you know, I'm kind of done with making a tribute to the Ottoman Sultan. Which was really the only thing keeping peace between them. Yikes. Instead, he had some kebabs. People kebabs. So... Sultan Mehmed II, who is now the one in charge of the Ottoman Empire, he sent an envoy to collect his tribute. Vlad's like, nah. And and this is one of those points where some of the stories are either crossing over or being told differently. But from what I can tell, the gentlemen who were part of the envoy, uh, they had, you know, turbans on. For sure. religious reasons, they keep their heads covered. And Vlad did not super like that they would not remove their turbans in his presence. So he had the turbans nailed to their heads. Oh, I guess they won't come off then. No. And then he impaled them. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> Effective. Yeah. And so, okay, so what was really interesting when I was doing the research, though, is that I- I'm starting to kind of trace where his reputation started. He started to locally become known, I'm going to butcher this, as Kaziklu Bey, or Kazili Voivoda, which basically means Impaler Lord. 
Oh, that's a great name. I feel like that would be a really good like metal band name. It's like a great metal band. And like that sounds so much more impressive than Vlad the Impaler, like Impaler Lord. Impaler Lord. That's a title. Yeah. But the references you see to him specifically being referred to as Vlad the Impaler, that didn't start until the 1550s. Huh. Which was well after he died. And it was specifically used by the Turks. So when you when you look up some of the stories of the atrocities, like it can sort of be hard to tell. Like, did this happen this way, or was this inflated by the propaganda? It's not to say that he didn't impale people; he totes impaled people. <laughs> That's not the questioning part, right? No, no. Uh, in fact, like people would describe it was described in some of the literature of forests of people being impaled oh in his God. wake. It's like the Pacific Northwest, but with people. But with people. (laughs) But to the people of the region, though, he was a hero. Like, his methods were harsh, but he was a fair ruler, and he was just trying to reclaim the land that had been taken from his countrymen. You know, his approach was just a little bit unique. It wasn't. Oh. No. Impaling was fairly common. Well, we're going to get to this. Okay, sorry. I'm I'm really excited. So, the Ottoman Empire is trying to take over. And if he defends himself and impales some villages and armies, you know, it's, it's going to happen. So, and, and listen, let's call it Impaling 101 for those of you who have not had the pleasure. Wait, is that what this episode's going to be called? Impaling 101. With Vlad. With, with Vlad. All the Vlads. All the Vlads. Every single fucking one of them. I've said fucking too many times this episode. You can cut those no, out. please leave them. I love it. <laughs> Impaling a person. It is best to tie each of their legs to a horse. Oh my God. You then slowly drive the stick upwards, preferably through an orifice. Like a butt? Like a butt or a JJ. Hey. But not necessarily. If you're having trouble, just, you know, it's soft tissue. <laughs> it is <Yeah>. important. <laughs> It is important that your stick not be too sharp. That's what she said. Oh, did she? <laughs> if your stick is too sharp, hey. was, hey. if your stick is too sharp, uh, then they would die too quickly. And you oh. want to allow for maximum suffering. Once impaled, you lift the stick so the body weight allows them to further slide down the oh, stick. Gravity does the job for you. Gravity does it all for you. Less work, too. It's hard in your back, you know. You know, you want to save your back. Save your back. Lift from the knees, save your back. <laughs> it could take hours for someone to die. That is so fucked up. And the bodies, he would leave the bodies up for months. That's got to be stinky. Oh, so stinky. So there you have it. Everything you never needed to know about impaling. <laughs> Who knew? Who knew? But don't worry, folks. <laughs> Vlad oh. had other ways to kill people if he wasn't in the mood to impale. According to legend, he'd sometimes boil, 
roast people alive, cut off their noses, their ears, their breasts, strangled them, skinned them, burned them. A German pamphlet from 1521 said he roasted children and fed them to their mothers. <gasps> oh my God, that's horrible. <laughs> but bearing in mind again, this was a German pamphlet. So this was probably propaganda, but okay. that's what they said. He would burn villages and... Some of the legends said he'd eat the remains of those he roasted. But I, again, that's one where I'm like, oh, did he? Did he? I don't know. You love Hannibal so much. Why are you not surprised? Well, Hannibal's a whole different animal. <laughs> that's true. He didn't I mean, impale I, anybody. Did he? Mm, no. How that's questionable. Anyway. Oh, I haven't. No. Oh, my God. Don't don't ruin anything. I've I, watched <laughs> like three episodes. You, well, then you need to watch more. And that's your fault. Fair. Um. He was also all about female chastity. That's really ironic. Eh, well, <laughs> uh, if you were a lady, watch out. If you had sex out of wedlock or cheated on a spouse, uh, he'd impale you up the lady bits, but not just on a stick. Oh, no. A hot stick. Oh, no. For added funsies, he would cut off your breasts. He's a catch, ladies. Come on. Who wants to date him? Come on. Come on. He also was not into homeless and beggars and the super poor. In fact, one legend, I'm stressing legend here. Big neon lights, legend. He supposedly invited a bunch of the poor to a banquet and after feeding them a feast, locked them in the room and lit them on fire. So that's one way to deal with poverty. He sounded like Dr. Evil just then. (laughs) I've been inspired. I love it. Okay, so things aren't really going well between him and the Turks. Uh, At this point, he is full on at war with the Ottomans, and it goes on for years. Here's the thing, though. The Sultan, he had a lot more resources. He had a lot more money. And the more that time passed, Vlad couldn't keep up with the Sultan's forces. So the Sultan had an army three times the size of Vlad's. Dang. So Vlad hid in the Romanian forests and he started using guerrilla tactics. So they, they poisoned wells. Oh, shoot. Burned crops. And my personal favorite is they paid people, men mostly, I, I would assume, uh, who were infected with the plague like bubonic to infiltrate the Ottoman ranks and purposefully infect the soldiers. That one hits a little too close to home with what's going on. Right? (laughs) Just going to say that. So part of what then like really cemented as Vlad the Impaler name was that he ordered 20,000 defeated Ottomans to be impaled on wooden stakes. That'll do it. So Sultan Mehmed comes upon this forest and it's being, you know, there's like buzzards and stuff. And he was like, mm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. My mom's calling. I've, I got to go. It's, oh, look at the time. It's dinner time. I'm going to go. Uh, <laughs> Vlad actually, so Vlad wrote to one of his allies in February of 1462. I, this is, yeah. I have killed peasant men and women, old and young. We killed 23,884 Turks without counting those whom we burned in homes or the Turks whose heads were cut off by our soldiers. Oh, no. Thus, your highness, you must know that I have broken the peace. You think? Yeah, that might be understating things a little bit. So, Mehmed 
me mad Sultan, my 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 Sultan friends. Uh, he gathers even more troops, corners Vlad, but Vlad, being a clever one and fluent in Turkish from his time spent living with the Ottomans, he disguises himself and he infiltrates the camp. So he figures out where the Sultan's tent was, and he kind of has the intention of coming back and killing him. He divides up his army and they attack. And what's interesting is, I mean, again, their troops are outnumbered, but all in all, they killed 15,000 of the Sultan's men. Holy shit. And lost 5,000 of their own. That's insane. Yeah. If nothing else, you have to admire, he was an intelligent man. And his military tactics seem to be fairly sound. In fact, the Sultan himself, Sultan would get away. They wouldn't kill the Sultan. They had the wrong tent. But maybe he wasn't the smartest then. (laughs) We had the wrong tent. (laughs) It was was another of the noble like upper tents, but it wasn't the Sultan's tent. And the Sultan himself, he even, he couldn't help but respect Vlad. And his cunning. And he was quoted as saying, a man who had done such things was worth much. So it doesn't mean, I mean, the Sultan still has more resources. So he regroups, he continues. And he also has Vlad's brother, Radu. The pretty boy. I'm hot. Yeah, pretty boy's on his side. So they surround Vlad's castle. And and Gabby, you will appreciate this. According to some of the legends, 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 legends. Legends. His first wife, whose name we don't know, it was probably Vlad. <laughs> Everyone's fucking named Vlad. Flung herself from the tower rather than be taken by Turks. If this sparks something in you, yes. It does. It is used in Bram Stoker's Dracula, the movie from the 90s with Winona and Keanu Winona. and Anthony. and. I love her. And Gary. Uh, they also use it in the most, the more recent, the Dracula Unleashed, Unheard, Undead. I don't know. Uh, they they, they make, it was something with a nun. So Vlad retreats into Hungary, tries to get some support in fall of 1462. But the Hungarians betray him and they imprison him. There is debate as to how long his imprisonment lasted. Uh, Commonly, it's looked at as being around 1462 to 1466. During that time, he married his second wife, whose name was Ilona Sizzlgesundheit. And he had two sons with her, possibly also a daughter. He also had a son with his nameless first wife called Mitinia the Bad. <laughs> oh my God, these names. I know, you can't make this shit up. These need to all be like hashtags. All of them. It, they really should. Like that's, it's, I suppose the mom, I mean, what would, what would we be? What would we be? I'd be like Kim the Skeptical. You'd be Gabby the Gullible. Or I'd be or like just, Gabby the, the Molder, and you'd be like Kim the Scully. <laughs> or we'd just be Vlad. <laughs> or we'd be Vlad. We'd just be Vlad. Everyone's yeah, Vlad. Everyone's Vlad. Vlad. I'm Vlad. We're all Vlad. Glad to be just, Vlad. Oh my God. That's, there you go. Hashtag glad to be Vlad. So he's, he's got his new wife. He's got a couple new kiddos. His freedom. But oh, the urge for power creeps back the in. Urge for impaling. Impaling. His brother, Radu the Fabio, died suddenly. <laughs> I can't. 
Yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> Fabio. You just got me so hard on that. <laughs> uh, he dies suddenly at the age of 40 in 1475. So Vlad's like, I got this, folks. I got the throne. This my Which bitches. He did in 1476. But again, it lasted two months. He was overthrown. No one's really on Vlad's side right now. Poor Vlad. Poor Sad Bindi. to be Vlad. Sad to be Vlad. Sad to be Vlad. Now, he dies shortly after this. There is debate as to how he dies. Uh, there are accounts that say it was an accident, possibly while hunting. Some say he died fighting the Turks. But my favorite version is that he was decapitated by the Turks, had his head sent to Constantinople, where it was preserved in honey and displayed for all to see. Wait, is there like... I mean, probably not. This is a stupid question. Is there like a drawing of it that's like corroborating that at all? I think it was just in some record. We've, we've ended Vlad. Uh, he's, he's dead. <laughs> in one way or another. And throughout his life, killed somewhere between, or was responsible, I shouldn't say, because he didn't personally kill them, but he is responsible for the deaths of somewhere between 40,000 to 100,000 people. Damn, Gina. But... When you look at the history of the time, this is a bloody, bloody violent time. You have constant unrest, usurping of power, countries changing hands. And Vlad, as I had said, he was not the only one impaling people. It was a thing. Other, well, other leaders used his punishment, including the Sultan. As much as he was like, oh man, I just had 20,000 of my men impaled. That sucks. He did it himself. So when you look at the worst descriptions of his atrocities, almost all of those descriptions, they came from the side of his enemies. In Romania and Bulgaria, he's described and remembered again as being maybe a little strict, maybe sometimes a little impaling happy, but a just and fair ruler. So do you think this is like one of those cases where what we remember and what we know is a reputation created by others as being negative as opposed to being positive. Well, the same way that what will hopefully be a future episode, uh, Elizabeth Bathory, her reputation is possibly completely unfair or possibly not. Maybe she did kill a lot of virgins and bathe in their blood, but, uh, History is told by the people who survive. History is told by the conquerors and the people who were there to shape their version of events. That's applicable to even our last episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's, that's history. Yeah. History is not unbiased. History is, is told through the eyes of the people who survived to tell it. And who think it's important to tell. And And who think it's important to tell. What parts Mm -hmm. should they tell and what parts should they leave out? And exactly. then it becomes telephone too. So then you have that. Oh yeah. And, and that's just it too. You had a lot of oral history happening. Um, but like, so 1524, an Italian writer named Michael Bassignoni, I am not Italian, referred to Vlad III, our, our, our sad Vlad, as a very wise and skillful man in war. So he maybe loosely inspired Dracula. Again, there's, there's, if you kind of squint and, and look to the side, um, you can see some of the similarities, at least in, in these sections of the book, dealing with the Ottoman Empire and the Turks and all that. Sure. Um, but was he as bad as people think? Yes, he still impaled people. Sure. So 
Maybe. Yeah. Um, but also I think it's really hard to, to look at history from 600 years ago and also judge it by today's moral standards because there were it's, different standards. It there were different same. standards. Exactly. And it, it's, it's kind of doing everybody a disservice. It's an exercise in futility. So, uh, you know, like a lot of the cases that I, I end up getting kind of attached to, this is one that I will probably continue to, to research in my own time because I'm a nerd. Um, it's interesting though. It, it really is interesting. And there's a lot more out there. There's multiple books written on him. What I gave you was a very, very history abridged. Right. Partially because, again, the politics of the time start to play really heavily into understanding some of the other aspects of it. And that is its whole other rabbit hole. Rabbit hole. So um, I have a question. So you mentioned that other people were also impalers. Why do Mm -hmm. you think he specifically was remembered as Vlad the Impaler? when other people also did it? Was it because of the amount that he did, like the quantity or just the strategy behind it? And they had to give him a name and they named him because of the way he killed people. Like, what do you think? Well, because I mean, people did kind of, they got their little names based on uh, the reputations and, and things they did and things they didn't do, which is how you get, you know, the monk, the, the great, the bad, the handsome, the Fabio, Michael Scott, the Fabio. <laughs> um, so I think it's very telling that even when he was known as Impaler Lord by his own people, that means impaling was something he did pretty readily. So I don't doubt that even though other people were impaling, he may have jumped to impaling physically and uh, <laughs> <Sure>. figuratively. <laughs> What is the figurative way to impale someone? No, like jumping figuratively. Oh, I, okay. I got it. I was like, I just, no. <laughs> yeah, you can uh, think about that for a while. No, I, no I, I do think it's fair to say that that he was a master impaler. He was a, yes, he was a master impaler, which is better than being a masturbator. But honestly, I think it also has to do with the fact that when he was victorious, he didn't just kill people, he displayed them. Well, he showed off what he did, right? He showed off what he did. So so when he impaled those 20,000 troops, he could have just killed the 20,000 troops straight up. He could have just been like, execute them all, slit yeah. their throats, cut off their heads, whatever. That's not great. No. But instead, he decides to leave an actual forest of impaled bodies. So did anybody else do that when they impaled people? Or was he the only one that showed them off? From what I saw... Even though other people impaled, none seem to use it as a way of... I mean, it's kind of a way of peacocking your power a little right. bit. It's, it's a way of... of uh, again, it's it's not... A, I'm thinking, like, Lord help me, I'm thinking of the, the Game of Thrones episode where they just... You know, you know the one I'm talking about with all of the... They display all the bodies on the bridge? Just, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it seems very much a way of showboating and uh or like threatening yeah 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 you're gonna do to someone if they wrong you right exactly so i i think that that the reputation was definitely earned and i mean again even on the low end of things he had forty thousand people impaled yikes but it's it was also during a time of war so it almost doesn't count because it's like a war crime and it's not like I mean, I it think, does count. 
it know. stands out because it seems unnecessarily cruel. It's not just killing people on a battlefield or executing prisoners. It's leaving those who are still alive to die a wretched and painful death. He wanted an A plus and impaling. A plus had the extra credit. Again, it's it's that trying to judge things by today's standards. It's really hard because, like, I'm sorry, you impaled a lot of people. That's not good. But it people was people don't exactly impale people these days. No. And again, it was people who were invading his territory. So like you ask the, you you ask his people, they're like, yeah, damn right. Our Lord Impaler impaled people and now we're protected. So yeah. it's, it's just it's, context, mm, I guess, you know, it's context. And it's, it's not something I think you can look at and just be like this. There is, there, there is a black and white answer to this. There's not, there is very rarely a black and white answer to history. Sure. But Specifically, I think to the point that I was making, I think that maybe it's because he was such a showboater that he was remembered in that way, right? It it was, it was, I think it's something that because he was a showboater in it, it was a convenient thing years after he died to wave in the face of look at the cruelty of the Hungarians or the Bulgarians or whatever the region was at this point. Look at the, the cruelty of them. Their leader does this. Their leader did that. He was a horrible person. They eat babies. They feed babies they've roasted to their mothers. Like, it's it's a scare tactic, too. You're, you're trying to drum. I mean, you, you saw this, like, in Germany post-World War One in a different manner. I like, mean, it is you a- still see things to this yeah. day that are scare mm-hmm. tactics. Okay, I have a secondary question um, yeah. because I've been thinking of them and I wanted to address a couple things. So okay. one of the things I'm curious from a Kim-splaining perspective. <laughs> I will Kim-splain. Do you think that the part of the reason, obviously his name was literally Dracula, like right. that's probably where Bram Stoker got the name Dracula. Oh, no right? doubt. Uh, Yes, no doubt. And then if you were to think about the whole consumption of people, Mm -hmm. sure, impaling them could be a metaphor for like teeth impaling. See, that's a stretch for me. I think think he took some of the legends, some of the Eastern European legends he had been reading about. And I think he sees like Nosferatu. He sees Nosferatu in the the one quote that I'd read. And, Mm -hmm. um, and, Dracul means devil and dragon. Right. So it's also, they weren't the only Draculs or the only Draculas. But he had such so, a unique story. He did. Oh, yeah. And again, it's, it's, I, 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 I don't want to say that I don't think, I think very much that Bram Stoker was inspired by elements of the story. Do I think he looked at Vlad the Impaler and his intention was, this is the guy who becomes my Dracula? No, not at all. I think, I mean, as I say this as a writer, like I create characters and I pull in elements of, I'll, you know, I take a little of this friend, I take a little from this experience. Oh, I read about this. Let's put this in. Right. You very rarely only have one source of inspiration, For I feel sure. like, when you're crafting something like this. So I think... Uh, I think that saying there's no Vlad the Impaler in Dracula is no, there, there is, there is some inspiration, but I also think looking at it being like Bram Stoker had a clear cut idea of Dracula and it was to model him after Vlad the Impaler. No, I bet that he did model him after his actor friend and personality and it probably did stem from, I mean, the same way that, that Wes Craven had a creepy 
you know, he read an article uh, about a, a kid who had dreams and wouldn't sleep and then died and boom, Freddy Krueger. You, you take a little thing and you're inspired. That's right. Being an artist, that's being a writer. Right, right. So yeah, I think, I think that, that Dracula was created out of multiple things, not just Vlad, but I think some of the history definitely played in. Well, sad Vlad... Sad Vlad. Sad Vlad. Glad Vlad depends on when you caught him, right? That's true. Um, I actually, fun fact, have a Vlad the Impaler Christmas ornament. Nice. <laughs> that I will take Does a picture of. he have a of. thick, swollen, like, <laughs> he looks like He looks like all the drawings that you see of Vlad the Impaler oh. as, like, a freehand yeah. painting. Yeah. yeah. And it's, like, an outline drawing of it. But I'll post a picture of it when we yeah. release this episode, and I'll post some pictures of um Impaling. friend... Vlad and of course and all the Draculas through history. Yes, this is going to be a really fun one to post about. I feel like because we can find lots of different references. Oh, there's for so it. many different. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like to your point, Kim, I think you did a really great job, like isolating the things to talk about. We could talk about this for like multiple episodes. This is oh yeah, that like we could even do a whole episode on Bram Stoker. Like there's so- oh yeah yeah. I I have to say I I actually found the the stuff about Bram Stoker I was reading I was like this is this is its own episode like oh, yeah the, and and how he and the the history of vampirism is its own episode like for sure I had to stop myself from going down all these other rabbit holes I'm so proud of you I know <laughs> I was succinct I was succinct I believe it but Bram Stoker did you know that his first name was Abraham and no it, really seriously yeah, his first name was actually Abraham and he changed it to like Bram for short because it sounded cooler and that's why his name is Bram Stoker. Fun fact. That's a fun fact I did not know. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I taught Kim something on her episode. Look at that. You did. I will never get it out of my head though. In the beginning and end or whenever they ta- they show um like Dracula before he was a vampire in Dracula in Bram Stoker's right. Dracula movie, it looks identical to what we think of as Vlad the Impaler. Well, they very obviously model him after the pictures. Totally. We have. Yeah, and that's why I'm like, it's Vlad. That's him. That's our friend. It's our yeah. friend Vlad. Well, and, and uh, the I mean, again, there there have been other Dracula movies that have very much used the history of of Vlad the Impaler to uh, further their version of Dracula. But then you have, I mean, you have the original Nosferatu. You have even just the 1931, both the 1931 Draculas, both the the first one and the, the Spanish language one, where in no way does Vlad the Impaler play into this version of Count Dracula. Sure. I have another fun fact for you if you want. Since sure, we're talking fun facts. Nosferatu. I sound like such a Californian when I say that. <laughs> Nosferatu. OMG. Oh my God. OMG. Um, but in that movie, that actor was such a weirdo when they were filming him mm-hmm. that in the scene where the sun shines on him and he goes... <sighs> and yeah. like puts his hands up that was his like natural reaction that wasn't written in the script at all um and they kept it and nowhere i think up until that point in vampiric lore mm-hmm. sunlight didn't kill vampires and ever since that movie came out that film it was more of like the yeah. f- back then then that started the lore of vampires can't be in the sun and they are killed by sunlight what? And again, that goes back to my point earlier on, which is we take works of fiction and how they depict some of this lore 
and and start to attribute aspects of something we see in a work of fiction to being part of the actual lore when in reality it was fiction right it it was crafted around the lore did you ever see shadow the vampire yes yes i love that movie it's fun. And again, that whole idea again of the filming of Nosferatu where it was an actual uh, vampire where he was an actual vampire. Yeah, and it's, great. it's, it's a good time. So if you're, if you, if you've never seen Shadow the Vampire, we're, we're jumping creepy critics corner for me to say this, but it's, it's a good time. Should we go to creepy critics? I corner? suppose we should. Yeah. Creep critic. That brings us to. For this week on Creepy Critics Corner, I have a plethora of things to talk about. However, um, (laughs) I had a lot of time on my hands, apparently, since we last recorded because I binged all of Unsolved Mysteries. I watched all of it. I haven't even started it yet. All of it. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to say I liked it. It was fantastic. Highly recommend. And there's a nice, like, homage to the OG. uh, Robert Stack? Um, yeah, there's like a, there's actually like a picture of him in the intro that's like really Aww. just kind of like lightly goes by, but you have to look for it. My um, heart. But yeah, it's it's really well done. Um, the approach, the way that they tell the story, is very similar to the way that OG Unsolved Mysteries mm-hmm. would tell their story. Because that's what I mean. That's what we all know and love. Too. Totally. And so I like that they kept that. They kept mm-hmm. that like strategy. But instead of doing, I believe in the old ones, they did like multiple stories in each one, right? Mm-hmm. This one is just one topic per episode. Oh, but the way okay. they tell it is similar, but it's more okay. in depth because it's one topic per episode. Mm-hmm. And I will say that people will be done talking about Carol Baskins once <sighs> you will see one of the episodes of Unsolved Mysteries, and I won't tell you which one it is. So go okay. watch it. Okay. Um, and then the other thing that I am so excited is out, and I've literally been waiting. I think for a year for it to come out is I'll be gone in the dark. And oh on, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on HBO. Yeah. It's a doc- the second episode just aired, but by the time this comes out, the third episode I think will yes. aired. And I've seen the first two already. Both very high quality. I was so excited to see I'll be gone in the dark. And if you don't know, um, I'll be gone in the dark is a docu series based on a book written by Michelle McNamara mm-hmm. about the Golden State Killer. And mm-hmm. in recent news, um, he actually well, to no one's surprise, I know. He well, he he pled guilty. Long like basically in a synopsis, the way that the Golden State Killer was found recently after not being found for like decades 50 years 40 years he didn't get caught he had raped 50 people he killed a whole bunch of people all in sacramento and no one found him in the 70s victims are still alive which is part of why this has been a particularly uh and because he was also continuing to call victims um, and hang up yeah he would just and call and hang up. Up through the early 2000s, he was yeah, doing that. It's crazy. Yeah. But anyway, the, the book is fantastic. So here's yeah, a double recommendation on Creepy Critics Corner. If you haven't read I'll Be Gone in the Dark, you should read it. Michelle McNamara was married to Patton Oswald. Patton Oswald. He, um, or she passed away prior to her book being published. Finished. Well, finished. Yeah, finished. She, finished. she didn't it finish it. Yeah. There were other people that she did research with that helped her put it together with Patton Oswald. So it's really cool to see... Um, if you another another thing that you could check out 
if you have read that book, there's two books that also came out written by Paul Holes. So Billy Jensen was someone who also researched the way Michelle McNamara researched. Not, neither of them were yeah. actual um, investigators. They literally used the internet to do yeah. research on unsolved crimes. Both were researching the East Area Rapist. And that's how you know him, Kim, right? East Area Rapist and also the original Night Stalker is right. how he used to be referred to as. So it, it's when I first uh, heard him referred to as the Golden State Killer, I was confused. And I, I didn't know at the time too that that was a phrase that Michelle McNamara had actually coined. Which is wild. There's so much of the findings of him as a criminal is yeah. due to her research. Uh, she she did something remarkable. And the day that it was announced they'd made an arrest, I actually cried. I believe that. I think I just freaked out. I was very excited more than anything. But I, well, because it's, it's so, so rare on a case that cold. For sure. It's to real get chilly. Arrest. Real chilly. Real chilly, so real chilly was, case. It was emotional. It was really, really emotional. It's yeah. so sad that it happened after Michelle McNamara after passed her, away. After, after she death, put in yeah. all this effort. Um, and I, we don't want to give everything away, guys. But um, I will tell you that if you like I'll Be Gone in the Dark, you should read Chase Darkness With Me, How mm-hmm. to or How One True Crime Writer Started Solving Murders. That's by Billy Jensen. And mm-hmm. then the book uh, that Paul Holes wrote, um, he actually, I believe his is only available on Audible as an I was audiobook. Say, I haven't read it yet. It's really oh, it's an audiobook. Okay. It's an audiobook, but there, here's why you should listen to it is because he narrates it and he also gets um, actual victims to, he is talks it, to them on there. And it's, it, and it's called <sighs> Evil Has a Name. Okay. Which is great that you did that sound right before I said evil has a name. It is Kim Dalfit. Just kidding. The untold story of the Golden State Killer. (laughs) So yeah, evil has a name. The untold story of the Golden State Killer. Uh, It's really interesting because when it was published, it was during the the recent investigation. So they walk you through the entire investigation of like what was going on, how they found him. All of that is in. Oh, okay. That's cool. That's really interesting. Um, So if you like that kind of stuff and like to go down rabbit holes like you know Kim and I do highly recommend all of those things and um there's also a podcast it's called Jensen and Holes Murder Squad and so that's another one that you can listen to and it's all about cold cases that they discover and talk through from the perspective of an investigator that's actually like a retired detective and a online investigator so no it's really interesting good stuff so this creepy critics corner was very on brand for me this time Kim, what have you been watching, listening to, reading? Well, so taking inspiration, actually, I had been struggling to figure out what to do for this episode. And I was I was visiting my parents and my mom and I were watching the new Dracula, the Dracula series on Netflix. It's not that new at this point. I, and I watched it before I thought she'd like it. And we were partway through and I was like, Eureka, Dracula, Vlad the Impaler. <laughs> Eureka, Captain's Whistle. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, But part of my contribution to Creepy Critics Corner is going to be the 2020 short TV series that was released. It was uh, uh, done by BBC One and Netflix. And it is a uh, Stephen Moffat 
who, for those of you who are fans of um, Doctor Who and Sherlock, will know the name. Stephen Moffat's take on Dracula. And it's not a perfect series, but it does a couple things that I really like. One of them being our Van Helsing is Agatha Van Helsing. She a lady. She a lady. And Dolly Wells, who plays her, is maybe one of the best things about it. She is so stinking good and so watchable and funny and sharp and sassy and also like, not 20. Like, it's just, it's, it's a delightful choice. And then what was funny to me is, is Bob, our friend, Bob, who's also uh, a recent patron on Patreon. So thanks, Bob. Bob. When Bob first watched it, he had messaged me because, because Bob and I uh, are part of another podcast that I do at City of Geek. And I hadn't watched it yet. And he messages me and he, he asks me, have you watched Dracula? Dracula yet? And I said, no. And he said, it's, it's got your new boyfriend. And I was like, sure. Bigfoot's in it? <laughs> Mads. <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, the, the actor that plays Count Dracula, whose name is, I'm going to probably mispronounce it, Clay Spang. No, he's totally now one of my boyfriends. Uh, and Dolly Wells is one of my girlfriends. My God, I am in love with her. She is amazing. But it's, it's fun. It's a very different take. And the third part goes a little off the rails. But it is a good time. It's not a huge time commitment because it's a three-part. And so if you're looking for something kind of different, the guy that plays Dracula is awesome. Dolly Wells as Agatha Van Helsing is amazing. It's it's, it's worth a shot. I, I really, really enjoyed myself watching it. Uh, the other thing I want to give a shout out to is in 1931, there were two Dracula films. Most people are familiar with the Bela Lugosi version, mm-hmm. and the Bela Lugosi version is, is very, very good. However, there was a Spanish language version that was done at the same time they were filming the Lugosi version. Because I think they were using some of the same sets and just shooting it at night. No way. Yeah. So what the crew was doing is that they were watching the dailies of what the English version had shot earlier Mm -hmm. and they would improve upon it. They'd be like, okay, this worked, but this didn't. So let's do different angles or different lighting. Wow. No, it was insanely smart. And I have to say, this might be sacrilege. I think it's better. I mean, that makes sense that it would be better if someone like, you know, dissected it to figure out what worked and what didn't and then fixed it. Yeah. It's it's really, really interesting to watch. It's particularly interesting to watch if you pair it with the Bela Lugosi Dracula. Uh, but it, it's a film that I feel like doesn't get enough attention or love because most people think about Bela Lugosi. Uh, so you are in for a treat if you check out the Spanish language 1931 Dracula. And that's, that's my, those are my major, I feel like we've, we've, we've recommended a lot of things on Creepy Critters Corner right now. So that's, that's probably. Y'all have a lot of homework. Y'all have a lot of homework and we expect you to watch everything and send us notes. So. So just to add to that, another Dracula fun fact, because I have weird Dracula fun facts that like. I support this. You know, Mark Hamill 
who plays Luke Skywalker in Star Wars. I'm sorry, who's that? Right? If you don't know this, then I don't know who you are or where you have been or what rock you were living under. However, he also he, voices the Joker on the Batman animated series. And you know what else he he uh, voices is Jackie. Dracula. Oh, <gasps> really? Yeah. So there's a, there's a, there was a, I think it's a past Cartoon Network, a Dracula cartoon about a little girl who becomes friends with Dracula and he voices Dracula and he has always loved. And I, the reason I know this is because during quarantine with some, something that was been really cool that I've been paying attention to is that what we do in the shadows has an Instagram and they go live and they have different people on that Mm -hmm. they'll interview. And so, um, Mark Hamill was on a couple times. And so some fun facts were spoken about. And Mm -hmm. part of the reason why he loves, he was watching the first season of What We Do in the Shadows and loved it so much because he loves Dracula stuff and loves vampires. So if you haven't watched What We Do in the Shadows, which I know we've talked about in other episodes. Many, many times. um, And it's one of my favorite shows ever. It is. um, In season two, Mark Hamill is one of the stars in one of the episodes. And he's so good as a vampire it's so great so that's awesome yeah fun facts about mark hamill your luke skywalker is a vampire just kidding (laughs) and thank you all for listening and for joining us today on this very vampiric episode of the birth of dracula and and sad vlad so and daddy vlad daddy vlad sad vlad fabio Vlad, vlad Or, you know, Fabio. that whole family, <laughs> all of them. every single person named Vlad, like the Brady bunch of vampires, right? If um, you two are named Vlad, hit us up on Instagram, which speaking of which our Instagram is ghoulish tendencies podcast. Please follow us. We like to post lots of pictures on all of our episodes. So mm-hmm. if you would like a visual to all the things that we speak of, check it out. Mm-hmm. We also love any feedback and you can always uh, talk to us through there, through the chat, but please also go to Apple podcasts and give us a rating and a review. We really appreciate it. That actually helps us get seen by people who might really enjoy this podcast who don't know about it. Uh, And the more of that we get, the better it is for all of us. So you can also follow us on there and subscribe there and on Spotify. So that way, you know, when we have new episodes coming out, Mm -hmm. we also have a website. It is ghoulishtendencies.com. You can check out all of our show notes on there, all of our references. Our episodes are also on there. And we also have links to all of our social media, inclusive of Instagram. Our Facebook page is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. We have Twitter, which is Ghoulish Pod. Gast. (laughs) Ghoulish Podcast. (laughs) And we have a Patreon, which is Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. And to all our patrons, thank you. Thank you so and much. You have some postcards coming your way that you we have sure do. Out to you. I know we just just got them. So uh, stay tuned for those mm-hmm. postcards. And mm-hmm. we have some other fun things in the works as well. We were talking about doing some recordings that are just going to be available on Patreon. So stay tuned for that. And having said that, stay, stay spooky. spooky.